0: Welcome to Democracy Matters, the podcast of the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University. I'm Kara Ong-Whaley, Associate Director of the Madison Center, and today we're going to be talking about the 2020 census, why it's important, and also how it's changed in the response to COVID-19. I have some very special guests with me today, four students who have been in a class called Democracy Counts, it's an interdisciplinary class. We have been learning about the history of the census, why it matters and developing Get Out the Count initiatives both on James Madison University's campus and throughout some very hard to count communities in our surrounding areas, partnering with local uh, city and county governments, as well as with the Census Bureau in Suitland, Maryland. We have with us today, Tristan Thorgerson, who is a senior political science major, Jonathan Dirks, another senior political science major, Kirsten Kim, a senior computer science major, and Abby Wallen, who is a junior majoring in public policy and administration. Thank you all for joining me today. Yeah, happy to be here.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having us.
0: So Kirsten, we'll start with you. Why does the census matter?
2: I mean, the census is a vital tool to direct federal funding to schools, hospitals, and other public programs and institutions. So these institutions are especially important to our lives, so an accurate census count can directly improve the quality and access we have to these resources.
0: Abby, why is the census important for you?
1: Um, Yeah, I think the importance of the census becomes even clearer when we consider populations that are hard to count, aka college students, children, non-English speaking individuals, um, and individuals in rural areas. Um, Many of the community developments informed by the census are really critical to these populations. And when counties determine where to develop a new school, they need an accurate representation of the children that will be attending and how many of those children are non-English speaking. Or when cities map out emergency vehicle routes, they need to know how to reach residents of rural areas as quickly as possible. Um, When churches and nonprofit organizations supporting immigrants decide where to locate, they need to know the areas where they're most needed. Um, And these populations are already at a disadvantage for communicating their needs, and an inaccurate census count only serves to deepen this disadvantage. So an accurate census count is essential to effectively meet the needs of these populations.
0: Tristan, how about you?
3: Yeah, I think Abby hit it on the head there. Um, The census is important for really a number of reasons, but I think what's most important is that it affects everyday lives of citizens. They're not just some random statistics so first of all the census determines your representation in the house of representatives and in your state and local government which really enables the power of our voice in our democracy second the second uh, the census determines where and how the government allocates funds for public goods such as roads schools hospitals police and fire departments um, third the census determines how the government allocates funds for social services such as medicaid head start and snap uh, the census also Informs decisions of citizens um, making business and career decisions. So, really the census, I think a lot of people don't really think about the census as informing our everyday lives and and as citizens and how they move forward in their lives.
0: Why do you think the why do you think the census is important?
4: Um, well, I think um, my classmates have discussed most of the reasons why already, but um, the last one that is important for me is that it's, um, constitutionally mandated. Um, article one, section two, clause three states that, um, the decennial census is necessary for the apportionment of representative of representation and direct taxation. Um, and so for me, um, I mean the, the irony is not lost on me for me as uh, a non-citizen to participate in it. But, um, For me, it gives me great pleasure because it's a country I've lived in for over 15 years now. And so to participate in my democracy directly um, is a great privilege.
0: So even though the citizenship question was not included on the census, it still created fear among many communities. Why do you think that is? And what is at stake for communities of color? And why is it such a fine line between being counted and not completing the census? Do we have any sense of how communities of color can be assured that their information will remain private and secure? So although the citizen question
2: was ruled unconstitutional, um, many still falsely believe that it will be included on the 2020 census. And the controversy and politics surrounding the question have overshadowed the truth. So many residents are in the dark about what's actually going to be asked on the census. um, And out of fear, they may avoid responding. Well, it's important for communities of color to be counted in the census so they also get their adequate funding for the necessary resources. Um, For many undocumented residents, the privacy of their citizenship status is a matter of life or death. So with a steady rise of deportations and ICE activity, everyone's on high alert. Um, They're living in fear of being deported, and this is much more important than Honestly, getting not getting an accurate count, but we don't want to put people at risk for the sake of data. And so, understandably, the security of their actual well-being and livelihood it's more important than responding to the census for many people. And we respect that completely. Um, And for many, there is no amount of reassurance that would be that we could make them feel better um, and completely secure in their safety. While data can't be sold to external entities, there can be a level of um, inferences gathered about a community, and those can be used in targeted raids and things of that sort. So um, we respect where people are coming from if they don't want to respond, but we do want to get an accurate count.
3: I'll jump in. Um, The citizenship question created fear for a number of different communities because of the threat it may have had on their residency in the United States. Um, a lot of these people are, grew up in the United States and they would have been asked if they were citizens of the country, um, which would have created fear that their answer would later implicate them um, in their deportation or rather give the federal, federal government reason to suspect that they may not be in the country legally. Um, but residents in the United States, whether they're documented citizens or not, must know that there is not a citizenship question on the 2020 census. And I think it's vital that everyone in the US responds to the census. Um, secondly, residents must know that their responses to the census are secure and protected under federal law, and they in no way may be used against you by government organizations such as the FBI and ICE. Granted, this protection is promised by the same branch of government that could potentially use it against you. And personally, I think it's uh, an issue that there's no viable check or assurance that your information will not be used against you, despite it be going against federal law. Um, the federal government using the power could of course deny these information against you uh, from the census to enforce federal law, but there really is no way to to ensure that we can prevent that from happening.
4: Just to add on to what uh, Tristan said about the citizenship question, um, it's important to note that um, the the controversy surrounding the Supreme Court's um, 5-4 decision to withhold the citizenship question really highlights um, the fears that exist within immigrant and minority communities, um, and it highlights the the views with which um, uh, the police and uh, figures of authority and government officials are uh, are perceived in those communities, um, and it and it really makes it all the more important that we are able to effectively communicate with these groups um, and ensure them that. The census is only there to help them and to make sure that their communities get the funding that they deserve and that they need to um, to grow sustainably and to be able to eventually sustain themselves as a community um, without living in uh, in the fears that they do now.
0: Abby, next question is for you. How have questions on the census, especially about race, evolved over time? And why are these questions problematic?
1: Yeah, so um, thinking specifically about the race question on the census, um, the census has asked respondents to provide information about their race since the first census in 1790. Um, And since then, the nature of the question has fluctuated over time as politics and science and beliefs about race in our nation have changed. Um, And early in our nation's history, the first few times that the census was conducted, the race question was used primarily to separate between slave and free populations, Um, However, in the 19th and 20th century, as black Americans became free and immigration created a more diverse society, the race question has evolved to include the more diverse racial categories that we see in the census today. Um, And beginning in 1960, respondents were allowed to choose their own race, whereas before um, the census enumerators would have determined what your race was just based on looking at you. Um, and then since the year 2000, respondents have had the option to choose more than one race. Um, so the race question really has evolved over time as our society grows and its understanding of race and how race is defined. Um, however, despite that progress, the race question has a pretty questionable history and the data collected from the race question on the census has been used in the past to violate civil liberties. Um, In 1941, military officials used census data to facilitate the internment of 120,000 Japanese Americans in response to the attacks at Pearl Harbor. Um, And later, in response to the terrorist attacks on September 11th, the Census Bureau provided tabulated statistics on Arab Americans to the Department of Homeland Security, including details down to the zip code level. So you can see why um, Americans today would be skeptical of providing information about their race. Um, And especially now, due to the current administration's position on immigration, um, many fear that 2020 census data will be used to target those living in the U.S. without documentation. And with the administration's attempt to include a citizenship question on the census, this fear doesn't really seem misguided.
0: No, it certainly doesn't. And we are... We continue to hear um, concerns and fears from from communities in in the local level and and also more broadly across the country. Um, And and as they're weighing whether or not to be counted because of the importance of receiving funds and benefits to communities versus, you know, putting themselves at risk. And again, the citizenship question is not on the 2020 census. Um, However, the Census Bureau, um, because of an executive order from the president, um, does have agreements with the Department. Of Homeland Security and with the Department of State um, to gather through administrative records um, the status of citizenship of individuals. Um, And they will be able to gather that data by block level. Um, Now, the Census Bureau has also introduced. Um, what they call a privacy d- differential to protect um, the individual status. Um, but again, with the race questions um, and the administrative records, you know there, there are questions about you know whether or not that, that privacy can truly be protected if you can target down to a block level, um, a census block level. So we had a lot of plans for our 2020 Census class. Post spring break, we were planning to do a lot of in-person programming. Um, we had we were going to have a Talk About It Tuesday with Taco Bars um, because we know they're both. Motivational barriers to completing the census, as well as the technical barriers—the how to do it, um, whether it's online, um, by by phone, or 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 by mail—but um, the motivational barriers are are the biggest, you know, questions. We we have to make sure that people understand why the census matters. And especially for students and other hard-to-count populations, this may be the first census that they're completing. Um, And and for university students, that's college and university students. It's certainly the case that this is the first census that they're completing on their own. Um, The majority of students are also counted where they spend the majority of their time, which is, uh, you know, if they're living away, it would be at their their college or university address, um, in off-campus housing or or in a residence hall. Um, so we had lots of programming through our Democracy Counts class um, to really focus on that educational aspect because we know that when people understand why the census matters, they're they're more likely to fill it out, and if they know how to do it, um, and if we sort of demystify that process, they're they're more likely to to fill it out. Um, All of our best laid plans, however, um, were were disrupted as as students have been displaced because of COVID-19. And, you know, as most of us are are complying with orders to protect public health and and staying at home. Um, So I wonder if you all would would talk a little bit about how COVID-19 and responses to the pandemic to protect public health created um, additional challenges for us but but more broadly to complete the census
2: yeah um, I mean this crisis is showing how much of a need we have to have an accurate count of everyone who is residing in certain areas because we don't have enough hospital beds for the sick people who need care it, it also shows I think how the world is moving to a digital platform and having the online response is super important. Right now we are in a, um, a time of social distancing where people aren't going out and put to public spaces as much as they previously were. Um, most places have stay-at-home orders, so obviously people are not going to be going to community centers to respond to the census, but they can do it from home, so getting that information out is extremely important. And it's also very convenient that this is the first time the census will be taken and have an online option. <clears throat>
0: So on the positive side, um, the Census Bureau has also extended the self-response deadline to October 31st. So if we're able to be in person in the fall, um, you know, we'll, we'll be able to do some of the program we, we had intended, which would be good. Um, although, you know, there, there are still questions about what and how much as, as the pandemic continues. Abby, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about why college students are considered a hard to count population and why college students should care about the census. And then finally, what strategies have been most effective um, for, for reaching students at JMU and, and more broadly? Again, even though we've had to switch to a mostly
1: digital strategy in light of uh, COVID-19. Yeah. So it's actually been really interesting learning about college students in the census and why they're considered a hard to count population, especially considering that you know that's the population that I fall into and that my classmates fall into. Um, but what we found is that A lot of misinformation exists surrounding college students in the census, making them a hard-to-count population. Um, Many parents believe that they should include their college student in the census for their home address when college students should actually be counted wherever they are on April 1st, which is most often their residence hall or apartment at school. And this misconception results in huge undercounts for most college towns. Um, And while many college students may not see the importance of filling out the census, an undercount in their college town actually significantly affects them. Um, Countless resources that college students take advantage of are determined by census data, including the bus routes that they use to get to class, um, hospitals and health centers that they may need to um, take advantage of, new business developments like malls and restaurants, and funding for most campus improvements. Um, Not to mention that Pell Grants and student loans that many college students rely on for their education are determined by census data. So, if college students are accurately represented in the census, it has the power to greatly improve their entire college experience. Um, And also, despite the fact that most students will only be living in their college town for four years, by filling out the census, they bring more funding to the area, contribute to the development of rural areas, encourage investment and innovation, and countless other benefits that will last beyond their time there and an accurate representation of the Harrisonburg population through the census benefits, not only college students, but every resident in the area contributing to the community that they get to enjoy. So with $2,000 of funding brought in for every student that completes the census, it's really one of the most powerful tools for any student that wants to give back to their college community. Um, And then, like you were saying, Dr. Rayleigh, due to the effects of COVID-19, a lot of our plans to reach college students in person weren't possible Um, so reaching out to college students through online platforms has been really crucial for increasing the census response rate. Um, and so we've placed a lot of messages about completing the census on academic platforms, frequently visited by JMU students like my Madison and Canvas. Um, and then we've been including a link to the online census form so that students can complete it right then and there when they see the message. Um, and we've also, Done a lot of outreach to students or student organizations um, such as fraternities and sororities about um, providing service points for members that complete the census um, and other motivations like that. We've also reached out to student resources such as SOGI and Madison Equality to raise awareness about how the census affects LGBTQ students at JMU. Um, and then social media really has been an incredibly important tool, and we've developed the hashtag DukesCount as a memorable way to raise awareness about the census for college students and we've been focusing on posting on Instagram, Twitter, GroupMe, Facebook and other popular platforms that will hopefully be seen by many college students as they're complying with the state home orders and hopefully scrolling on their phones and spending a lot of time on their laptops. <laughs> Yes, we we are spending a lot more time in
0: this this online world. Um, One of the things that I was most excited about, too, um, the Census Bureau has a census response rate map, and we can see down at the track level what response rates are. So just before we sent a campus-wide text message, I actually screenshotted the census tract that has high-density off-campus housing. And then I screenshotted that same tract after we sent out the campus-wide text message, again, that also had a link to complete the census directly. And we saw the response rate um, increased by uh, ten percentage points, from about twenty two percent to thirty two percent, just in the course of two days. Um, so this was also we we've been kind of monitoring all these interventions that we're doing, um, and also you know asking students what they know about the census and see if if any of our interventions have increased knowledge um, and efficacy about um, about the census. So that's that's been an exciting part of this class and and with you all as well um, is that we can actually see what we're doing and 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 test um, whether or not what we're doing works Tristan why do rural communities tend to be undercounted and how do rural communities benefit from this census? And what kinds of strategies and messaging did your group use to, to reach rural communities?
3: Yeah, so rural communities are undercounted uh, mainly for geographical and sociological reasons. Um, they're hard to reach uh, geographically simply because they're isolated from other people um, as they're likely to, to you know live on their lo- uh, live alone with their families and away from more concentrated urban locations. This means that they are less likely to have internet access to be able to respond to the census form online and harder to reach for census takers due to how spread out rural communities are from each other. Uh, Second, many in the rural community share a sentiment of a distrust of the government, whether it be due to their immigration status or citizenship status, or simply due to the government's failure to address their needs. Uh, This distrust of government creates a situation where Potentially thousands of people living in these rural communities in Harrisonburg and Rockingham County refuse to fill out a census form, creating enormous undercount. And as Abby just stated, this, in combination with college students, will, creates thousands, potentially tens of thousands of people that are undercounted in these areas. Um, and based on the, um, the amount of loss of money here, uh, it's essential that we really overcome these these issues. Um, a couple of strategies we used to reach these rural communities was connecting with religious organizations in the local community. Uh, We attended the Faith in Action meeting where we met with dozens of different congregations and encouraged them to hand out flyers uh, that contained information about the 2020 census to give out to those in their congregation. Uh, Our goal pre-coronavirus was to have the congregations place these inserts in their bulletins for people to bring home and look at. But unfortunately, in the middle of our efforts, uh, the coronavirus forced us to close, and obviously many of the congregations in the local area. Um, so we had to move our efforts online, um, and we just encouraged congregations to email these flyers instead of handing out in person. Um, Second, I think another strategy that helped us reach the rural communities was presenting ourselves as college students. As I stated before, it's it's a widespread fear in the rural communities of a distress of government. So I think presenting ourselves as college students and not just representatives of the government, you know, looking for their information helped dismiss a lot of the trust issues that they may have had. Um, And I think our efforts as students connect with them as we're just students working on a project. You know, we do have the same goal uh, and interest as the people working for the census. Um, But I think reaching to them as as students and not just government employees connected with them more.
0: Yes. And maybe Jonathan, you can talk a little bit um, about that as well, um, particularly for our non-English speaking communities. You helped lead some efforts with translating materials. Um, you know, we, we didn't just use um census bureau officials we census bureau materials we we also created our own including several um videos thanks to another student um who who joined us in this class zachary hill um you know took some video footage and we made um a couple of videos in six or seven different languages um so we could you know take those messages and those trusted voices of local individuals and spread it more broadly um, through digital platforms. But Jonathan, I wonder if you want to talk about your experiences, um, you know, on this project and and helping with translation.
4: Um, Yeah, gladly. So my group uh, specifically um, was uh, tasked with targeting these um, non English speaking communities, these communities that so often include um, recent immigrants. Um, the Harrisonburg and Rockingham counties are on the east coast. Um, the recipients of a large number of uh, refugees and asylum seekers, um, and so our non-English speaking community is indeed quite large, um, and makes up and and make is therefore incredibly important um, that they are accurately counted. Um, me specifically, I was able to. Uh, enlists the help of several professors um, in the foreign languages department professors um, of all languages really ranging from Arabic to Russian to French to Spanish um, as well as several students um, from the Jmu campus and they would they uh, helped us in translating flyers um, and pamphlets and leaflets that were able that we then uh, were able to hand out and put online to help Make people as informed as possible um, for for the census. Um, during during the process, I think it was important that we um, really got feedback from a bunch of different people, even with the same translation, um, because one of the biggest issues when translating. Kind of this information that is meant to ease people's fears and make sure that they can truly reach an informed opinion is a translation loss and translation error where something in English might not mean the same thing in Spanish and then uh, in French, Arabic, et cetera, et cetera. So that was an important thing for us just to make sure that we got um, a good translation that didn't, um, that, that didn't leave any doubts about what, um, what the message was.
0: Abby, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about some strategies to combat census misinformation and disinformation online.
1: Yeah, so as we've been discussing so far, there is a lot of misinformation about the census. So a lot of the efforts um, that we've been doing this semester have been thinking about how to combat that misinformation. And um, as a class, we actually had the opportunity to hear from Dr. Kayla Melchiori, who's an assistant professor of psychology at JMU, and she came to our class to talk about um, behavioral psychology and framing science and the different strategies we could use that were the most effective to combat misinformation when we're communicating about the census. And um, two of the interesting things that she taught us that stood out to me Um, were two strategies that we've used to combat census misinformation, um, which is repetition and avoiding restating falsehoods. So something that she taught us was that framing science shows that restating misinformation, even if it's to refute it, can actually cause it to stick in our minds more. Whereas just repeating a truthful message using vivid language can cause people to change their beliefs. So For the census, rather than addressing confusion by stating what the census is not, we focused on putting out short, clear sentences about what the census is. So, for example, there's a misconception, like I stated before, that college students are included in the census for their home address rather than their school address. So to combat this, we developed the short message, you count in Harrisonburg, and we've hoped that that will be more effective in Changing that belief rather than putting out long messages explaining why it's not true that you're counted at home, etc. And this is a strategy that we've also seen been used by the Census Bureau when they've been combating misinformation surrounding the citizenship question. Um, And if you've paid attention to their advertisements or what's going on on their website, um, you can see that they've been putting out frequent messages emphasizing the safety and the privacy of the census data rather than you know, combating all of the false information that's been coming out about the citizenship question. So we've tried to follow suit with that by um, releasing messages um, that are true about the census rather than trying to spend a lot of energy combating the misinformation.
0: So uh, one more question specifically about the census. Um, Tristan, what, what has been the most impactful lessons for you from this course?
3: Well, before this course, I didn't really know much about the census. I knew that it was every 10 years and they gave us a lot of information, but I didn't really understand how it's impacted our country and how our country has depended on it. Um, When our class went to the Census Bureau, uh, we learned a lot from those who work in uh, the Bureau and they really gave us a lot of information of how the government uses it to allocate resources and how people themselves as citizens make decisions based on it. Secondly, meeting with various leaders in the Harrisonburg and Rockingham community gave me a lot of insight into how uh, local government works and how they depend on the census for the allocation of funds and how that gets sent to the state and you know, the difficulties of, of local government as they depend on the an inaccurate, uh, inaccurate count for the census. Um, this course also you know, gave me an opportunity to make a difference, I believe, in the JMU community. And showed me what civic engagement looks like in practice. It gave me an opportunity to really work in teams and identify specific issues uh, that we could work on within the JMU community. Um, specifically our, our engagement plans that we worked on early in the semester really laid out a lot of work we were going to do and I think it really gave us an opportunity to to find issues and tackle them for the for the greater good.
1: Abby, how about you? I I think the biggest lesson I've taken away from this course is the importance of individual and community effort. Um, Even though the census is a federal tool that affects the entire nation, I think this class has shown that it takes an enormous effort from smaller communities like ours to make the count happen. And the fact that I, as a 20-year-old college student, was able to make an impact on something affecting the entire nation has shown me how necessary civic engagement really is. I think when it comes to public issues, it's easy to feel like your one single voice doesn't matter, but it does. Um, And for the census, your single voice can mean $2,000 of funding given to your community. Um, So that's been something really cool for me to see. And working with my team members and brainstorming strategies and developing projects towards the goal of a complete count has helped me develop a lot of skills, not only academically and professionally, but it's also... Helped me develop as an active citizen in my community. So I've been really thankful for the opportunity to see kind of behind the scenes of what it looks like to work on a project um, for a public issue like the census count. Um, And I think I've learned a lot about the intersection of small communities with the federal government and issues on the national level. And I've seen how much effort from individuals and communities can impact the nation as a whole. So I've been really thankful for this experience.
0: Oh, I've been so thankful for you too and appreciate you and everyone um, on here, all of the work that that you all have put into this. Um, It it really does make a difference. And and especially as we're working alongside our, our community partners at the local level, um, you know, this time around with the census um, for the 2020 census, there have been budget constraints, and so a lot more of the work had had devolved to um, local communities, and the Census Bureau had local um, complete count communities set up um, as as a means to try to get some of the work that it you know to do some of the work that it would traditionally do, um, and not all local agencies um, or or local governments had the resources to do this. So it, it this has been I. I, I agree with you that this has been an amazing way for us to really partner with local government, um, with local nonprofits, um, with with faith-based communities um, on something that is for the, the broader good and appreciate all of your, your contributions. Jonathan or Kirsten, do either of you want to answer what's been most impactful for you?
4: Um, just briefly, um, Tristan and Abby really summed it up. Um, for me, as 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 this was my first insight, I I, I guess I would say into um, civic engagement on on something as large scale um, as the census. Um, it, it was just interesting for me to see how how a federal agency works with local gov- state, and local governments to. Ensure that it is able to collect all the information when the time comes. Um, how it, des- um, how it decides to allocate its resources efficiently, um, and you know what weight it gives to, um, I guess uh, to certain communities and how just how they want to allocate their their manpower and um, and the money that they're apportioned. Um, that that's really what stuck with me through the process and helped me demystify, I guess, the whole um, the 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 price tag of the census, which I think for the twenty twenty census is going to be around fifteen billion dollars. Um, I really wasn't able to grasp how how it could cost that much until I I, I really understood like the the intricacies and the nuance that goes into um, counting three hundred and fifty million people or more than that. I guess.
0: Thanks, Jonathan. Kirsten, how about you?
2: I think that's the greatest lesson I've took from it is that grassroots movements are what makes our nation go. Um, nothing happens without an individual's effort. And your neighbors are more than happy to work with you to accomplish a common goal that will benefit us, benefit us all. And I think it's been really interesting to see the different groups coming into play, like working with each other in our undercounted communities specifically. There was a lot of overlap between organizations dedicated to improving the public and strengthen our communities and support those who need it. And I've I've found a lot of meaning in that, especially with how divisive politics have been lately. It's given me a sense of hope, honestly.
0: So we ask one final question of all of our guests on Democracy Matters. What would you do to strengthen democracy?
3: I'll start. Um, I think just getting involved in whatever you think would contribute to democracy, whether it be getting involved in nonprofits, whether it be um, you know helping the government get out the vote or or simply voting. Um, I think a lot of people are, are too passive when it comes to their democracy and, and kind of expect others to, to carry the weight. Um, so I think if a lot of people just inform themselves and, and try to inform others and try to work and just contribute any way you can to democracy, we'll strengthen it. Um, you know, the essence of democracy is its people. And if you don't have any contributions that you're, you're, you're basically pushing the weight off to a smaller number of individuals, which really takes away of the point of democracy. So I, say, so I think just getting involved any way you can uh, definitely strengthens democracy.
1: Abby, what would you do to strengthen democracy? Yeah, I think, I mean, Tristan really nailed it by talking about just taking personal responsibility. Um, but I think something that I try to live out in my everyday life is just starting conversations about issues of democracy and issues that affect our nation in a way that is civil and respectful. And I think. People my age and people in our generation have kind of grown up in an age where politics can be really vitriolic and um, hostile sometimes. So I think a lot of people my age prefer to kind of stay out of it, you know, rightly so, because it, for an understandable reason, because it can seem um, like such a disruptive force, but really that's not what democracy is intended to be. It's intended to be a way for everyone to have a chance to have their voice heard. And so something that I'm trying to do that I think everybody our age can try to do is um, start having those conversations about issues that are meaningful in a way that um, is empathetic and compassionate and um, you know talks about the important issues for what they are um, as issues that affect Americans and not just as talking points and ways to start arguments. Um, so I think something that I would do to strengthen democracy is just have more of those conversations with people my age and um, people that will grow up to be our next public leaders and hopefully change the conversation from something hostile and partisan into something that's respectful and progress-oriented. Jonathan, what would you do to strengthen democracy?
4: Building off, I guess, um, or echoing what Abby has said, um, the, 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 the most important um, tool, I think, in our arsenal um, to strengthen the force of democracy has to be um, just to continue to promote discourse, really. Debate has never has never really taken us backwards in any way throughout our history as a country um, and as a people. It, communication um, and, and debate fosters ideas and it fosters compromise. And, and really, it just it, it, I, I think it, it it's the only way to move forward, considering the global society in which we live. And the, I mean, I also don't think that there's uh, fundamentally anything that represents the values of um, of the United States of America better, either as a country that is founded on um, founded by immigrants um, that um, really just wanted to create an identity for themselves um, and a place where they felt that they were heard, and participation in the democracy in, in said democracy is the only way to foster that notion um, and and to move forward.
0: Kirsten, what would you do to strengthen democracy? I think
2: we could really strengthen our democracy just by working within our communities. We get so caught up in nationwide discourse that we sometimes forget that the real changes happen on a small scale first. And I think that they're even more meaningful because you really relate to those around you. I mean, with the COVID crisis happening right now, you see so many local groups working together just to support each other. And I think that's the real meaning of democracy anyways, is like working with your neighbors and building a set, um, excuse me, a society that benefits us all and that all of our voices are heard in and the census is an equalizer and we could use that as a tool and just taking it upon ourselves to make a difference, I think.
0: Well, Tristan, Jonathan, Kirsten and Abby, thank you so much for joining us on Democracy Matters and for being part of this class. Uh, Democracy Counts. Um, Your contributions have been incredible, and it's been my honor to have the opportunity to work alongside you this semester, and I appreciate all you've done for our campus, for our communities, and for our democracy. Thank you so much, Dr. Whaley.
4: Thank you very much, Dr. Whaley. Thank you very much.
0: Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by the talented and tenacious Leah Jackson a senior in the School of Media Arts and Design at James Madison University. Our digital guru, Randy Budnickis, Director of Digital Marketing at JMU, does the syndication for us. Our theme song is Sometimes It Shines by Pictures of the Floating World. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can tweet your questions and ideas to us at JMU Civic, and we'll address them in a future episode. You can also connect and engage with us on Facebook at JMU Civic. Learn more about the Madison Center online at jmu.edu slash civic. Until next time.
1: This podcast
4: is part of the Democracy Group.